This is Rilo's Quack Chat. As a coal maker, I enjoy talking shop with other duck call makers. On this podcast, it's all about duck calls and duck hunting. From the marsh to the duck call shop, we're going to find the story behind the duck calls and the people that make them. This is Rilo's Quack Chat. Hey, hey, everybody, this is Riley Henderson with Rilo's Quack Chat. Talking about duck calls and the stories behind them. Uh, yeah, I'm doing great up here in Indiana. Man, I am super excited because, man, talk about a story behind a duck call. I'm just going to say this. This podcast was made to tell the story behind the duck calls and the people that make them. However, on this episode, we are going to be talking about calls like the DR-85 and the legacy behind them. A legacy that goes by the name... Haydale Game Calls. Haydale Game Calls doesn't have customers or fans, they have fanatics. Some people turn their noses up at poly calls, but when you see a call collector that has a collection worth well over seven figures, yet you see them hunting with a call wrapped in electrical tape because of those memories of that call are so priceless, that speaks for itself. In this episode, we are going to talk about topics like the fishbowl marketing genius of Eli Haydale, the championship wins with LA-style calls, and to where Haydale Game Calls is at now. Today, I am very honored and humbled to be talking to the son of Eli Haydale and the CEO of Haydale Game Calls, Mr. Rod Haydale. Rod, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing good, Riley. How are you? Oh, man, I'm doing good. Just enjoying this nice weather up here in Indiana, and you said you guys are in a a cooker down there in Louisiana right now. Oh yeah, we've been in over a hundred degrees for the last week and it looks like it's nonstop, you know, no end in sight. So it's really a scorcher out there and it's hard to think about teal season, you know, coming up <laughs> just in a few months and and uh with all that heat going on. So I guess it's gonna be a hot one this year. Yeah. Do you guys uh get on the teal pretty heavy down there? We typically do. Up here in North Louisiana, there's not much of a flight. Um, you know, you can catch them coming in and out, but, you know, we primarily spend most of our time in South Louisiana. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you've always got birds down there somewhere and in some rice field. And I'm fortunate enough to have a couple of buddies down there that, uh, you know, I'll get invites to go on some pretty good hunts. So uh, it's, it's, I always look forward to, fighting the mosquitoes and fighting the heat but you know the the you can burn up some shells in in a quick 15 20 minute time and you're out of there so you know i look forward to that that's awesome that is awesome yeah uh teal season whenever it comes around up here in indiana we get mainly teal and wood ducks and canada geese and the occasional mallard so when teal come in man we just go a little crazy up here <laughs> but oh, good day. yeah but um so we, we just started talking about teal i mean what is what is the hunting history behind the haydale family i mean have has has your family always been hardcore duck hunters or what's the story behind that yeah we've always been hardcore duck hunters uh dad started duck hunting actually by himself he was not his dad my grandfather uh only rabbit hunted mm. and um 
my dad got interested in hunting around the New Orleans area. There's a there's a swamp on the west side of the city that you go through coming into New Orleans, and that's where he grew up. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was always, um, y- you know, hunting by himself or with another buddy. And even though there were leases back then and what have you, you know, he was kind of limited on having a, you know, a boat with a motor on it or something. So he'd have to walk in the swamp or into the, uh, on into the, the, the marsh there and, and, and hunt on his own by foot or, or mm-hmm. by Piro. And so, um, he always, you know, got the second best spots and, um, he killed a lot of, uh, lesser scalp back then and we refer to them as dogri and that's kind of the cajun name d-o-s-g-r-i-s dogri Mm -hmm. and uh he always said that if he was ever fortunate enough you know in in life to be able to afford a real lease that you know that's what he was going to do and he had never shoot another dogri in his life and I have never seen my dad kill one, so. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but anyhow, uh, that's just kind of a, a little bit of history going back to the, you know, to the 50s and 60s. So Yeah. Him. Yeah. So when, when did, I mean, so Eli had been duck hunting, but when did he start seeing the need for a uh, duck call that wouldn't stick? When, when did, the, what years did this happen? Well, actually, uh, you know, when I was growing up with him, he had come in one weekend with a trophy that he had won in a Mm -hmm. duck calling contest. And um, he won it over in Marshall, Texas. I think he won like third place or something like that. And then the next weekend, he went somewhere else and came back with a huge trophy. I mean, it was tall. I forget what contest it was, but I can go in our little trophy room and and figure Mm -hmm. it out. Uh, But anyhow, um, I looked at him and I said, dad, I want to get into that. I want a trophy, you know? And so that was probably, that was around 74. Yeah. Um, and so anyhow, I was still, you know, fairly young, uh, 13 years old, um, at the time. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I was able to compete in some junior class duck call calling contests back then. And he actually wrote out, because I was learning to blow a saxophone then. And even though dad played professionally, um, he did not know how to read music, but he knew just enough about music to where he could write out a routine in musical terms so I could understand what he was doing. And, you know, I started going to a few contests and started, you know, placing in some, and I got me some trophies and it just snowballed from there. And, um, so anyhow, uh, I think it was 76. Yeah. 76. I won third in juniors in the world. And then after that contest, I had to start competing in the men's class. And so, um, you know, things expanded from there. And like I said, um, you know, we, we competed heavily in, in contests for quite a while. And in 1981 is, uh, when he started, that was the year I graduated high school. He started fooling around with some 
molds and whatnot and, and, and trying to develop his own line of calls. So in 81, we actually had uh, four different calls that we came out with. We had a little pintail whistle. We had a Cajun style or a long reed style single reed, kind of like a cane call, if mm-hmm. you will. And we had a, a wood duck call, and then we had a speckle belly goose call. And so that's what started everything, and it just snowballed from there. <laughs> nice, nice. Now, did you guys start with Louisiana tone board calls and the calling competitions, or what were you blowing in those? Actually, we were blowing uh, Arkansas J-frame style mm. calls, and we, we blew a number of different uh, – different manufacturers calls, but one of them that we kind of stuck to and, and, uh, blew quite a number of years and, and won a lot of, uh, contests with was a, a old, a uh, call by, uh, from a guy named Charles Amadon. And he made, um, a call by the name of Hambone. And, uh, that's what we used back then is the, some of the old Hambone style calls. And, um, you know, we didn't. We were not in the manufacturing process back then, and uh, nor did we have a J-frame style call to compete at that level. You know, but in a lot of the hunting style contest, uh, where you really have to sound more like you do while you're hunting in the blind and stuff like that. You know, um, you know, our little speckle belly call has has won many contests and and also believe it or not that little cane call did did fairly well in in some of the calling contests that were held in in south louisiana where that style is predominant you know that sound if you will yeah yeah and i i mean right now has has there always been cane calls in louisiana because i mean right now we're starting to see like the nostalgia of the cane call and like some of these guys like Dale Bordelon doing making cane calls like they did way back in the day. I mean, is, are you starting to see more cane calls or have, has that always been a thing down Louisiana? You know, it was a, it was a thing, you know, before plastics were developed. Um, and then once the plastic market or the polycarbonate started hitting, that started fading off and um some of the 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 manufacturers out there that uh were not custom manufacturers um like Fox if you will Fox started falling by the wayside a little bit and I'm not sure if they're still in business right now or not but um yeah Dale's done a great job in in keeping that history and 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 what have you going you know for that style of call and um you know, I'm sure there's still a handful of people that that still make them in their garage and and so forth the old way like they used to. But that's it. Certainly has a a a place in the in the in the duck hunting world for sure. Yeah, yeah. So those first calls that Eli made were they wood or were they poly back then? I mean, what what was he making them out? They were they were actually uh poly calls but dad not being a woodworker or anything you know he just had some simple tools that uh you know he used he didn't have a lathe or anything like that we would take um tubing um that was just straight wall tubing that was six foot 
in length. And we had chopped them off, um, you know, in sections to make either an exhaust barrel or a, a blowing barrel. And then we would round the, the, the ends of them so they're rounded and didn't cut your lip or anything. And then for the lanyard grooves, if, if you'll notice, anybody that's got a DR-85, I mean, this mold is made to resemble the, the, the old original calls that we first started making. And we would take a chop saw and actually chop some of those barrels to make in, in, in the next size up, if you will, tubing and actually glue each ring onto that, that call to make a lanyard groove to where you could hold your call on a lanyard. So it was, <clears throat> you had to make each part back then and, and make it presentable. And, and it was, it was a, a time consuming process, if you will, nothing like it is today in the molding, uh, market. But, you know, I remember, um, my grandmother telling dad back then, you, you know, you're crazy to quit your job and start, you know, getting into the duck call market. You'll, you're not going to make a living that way, you know? And, uh, he happened to prove them all wrong. But, uh, you know, another thing that was funny is, is that, uh, people thought that you could not sell a clear call cause the ducks would see it. And look at all the acrylic calls that are on the market now, you know, the vibrant pinks and yellows and, and so on and so forth. So, but the reason, the reason that, that, that in itself being a clear call helped us is because back then there was no internet or anything like that. So from a marketing perspective, if you look at some of these old magazines and stuff, that's basically all we had back then to get information out. And if you look at some of these old magazines, you'll notice most of these magazines have black and white pictures in it, other than a few pages that were colored because the color ink was more expensive to, to reproduce. And so it was a lot cheaper to use black, just regular black ink. A black and white photograph of a clear call stands out against a guy that's wearing a lanyard full of calls. So it was highly identifiable for a guy looking at a picture way back then about duck hunting and to look at a guy's lanyard or a guy blowing a call and you could highly identify a clear call on, on that black and white photo. So, you know, that it, it was a twofold type situation and that's why, you know, a lot of our calls are still clear to this day. Wow. Wow. That is so cool. It, so go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, what, when, when did, uh, was it around the, around that time that Eli started doing the, um, the little marketing deal with the fish bowls? It was actually. Dad was still working at the time for uh, W.W. Granger. He was an outside salesman and he had a territory from uh, Arkansas all the way down to Toledo Bend, uh, the south end of Toledo Bend, and then over into East Texas and then up the other way. So he had quite a big territory. Um, that was along the, the flyway of the, of the Red River system. And so back then, you know, you didn't have your Walmarts and, you know, 
big time sporting good dealers and stuff like that, most of what you where you bought your shells and your camo and and so on and so forth were through hardware stores, which happened to coincide with a lot of his customer base that he was doing stuff with, uh, you know, selling industrial supplies through WW Granger. So uh, back then, um, you know, we started using a duck bowl with a sticker on it, and it had the old. Um, it had the old logo for Morton Salt that had a duck holding an umbrella above his head with rain dripping off. And I don't know what that signified, but <laughs> in any event, he used that logo on there. And on the, on the sticker, it just says, blows when wet. And, and he put that sticker on a, on a fishbowl. And we would take a rubber duck, a ye- yellow rubber duck, put a little lanyard around its neck, drop a call off of it and so the rubber duck was floating in water and when a customer or a duck hunter came by the counter and that was sitting on there they're like blows wind wet huh let me try this thing and they'd pull it out and blow it and see that it actually worked and that was the basis behind marketing a plastic call because when a when a wooden call normally gets wet uh, you have the grain of that call exposed. And when the grain gets wet, it, it, it rises, it swells up and it can change the tolerance between your reed and the, and the insert. And, and what happens is you'll end up having the call squeal at some point, uh, or the sound will change. Sometimes it may or may not squeal, but the sound definitely will change. And so, that was just a, a marketing move that that dad had decided to use. And, uh, you know, it was a nightmare, you know, because, at, at, you know, once we started getting those fish bowls in, um, finally, they we we got to a point where we couldn't couldn't get them. And that was about the time Walmart was starting up. And I remember, you know, as a kid, you know, going going with dad and we'd pick up, you know, two baskets full of fish bowls and these little rubber duckies. And, you know, the, the, the checkout lady would look up and, you know, she's looking at all these rubber duckies. And, and, uh, I remember specifically we, we had overbought in the fish bowl. So we're just getting, you know, rubber duckies. And the lady looks up and was like, what in the world are you doing with all of them? And, Dad didn't even crack a smile, and he just looked up, and you know he had probably had twenty or thirty in the in the basket. And he said, "You know how kids are. You do for one, you got to do for them all." And her <laughs> eyes, got, her eyes got huge. You know, like how many kids you got? You know. So. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's kind of fun to to relive those days. You know, back then, and and think about all the different things we used to do, and. It's it's definitely changed, and you know, over the years, you know, today, uh, uh, this year, I think we celebrate our our thirty, excuse me, forty first year in business. So, wow. uh, you know, it's 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 been a it's been a long road, and uh, definitely a a trip to remember all those things. So, anyhow, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'll, since you were talking about the rubber duck thing, I've 
Man, when you started posting the pictures of your father during Father's Day, man, that one picture, I was rolling. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I think I know which one you're talking about. He he was quite a character, that's for sure. He liked to make people laugh, so he's he was always a practical joker. <laughs> man, so, you know, the, the one call that everyone, I mean, the, the call you, whenever they do these, the top five calls or some of the best calls of all time, like the top 10, you always see this call in there. I mean, people love these calls. They've like you, we were talking about earlier before we start recording. I mean, these guys have them tuned just right that they wrap them in electrical tape. I mean, they become so nostalgic and I mean, the DR 85 is just a call. Well-known call that everyone loves. I mean, did you when you guys first made the first DR eighty five? Did you know right away what it was, or I mean, did did you know you had something? Yes and no. We I we obviously didn't know how big it was going to be at the time, but we definitely had a call that we knew sounded like we wanted, and 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 we knew it was something that was going to, you know. It, it was gonna. It was gonna outdo every other call that we had, because at the time there was nothing like it available. Um, you know, and and back then, <clears throat> when we made the mold for this call, um, there's a story behind that as well. And you know, back then we again we didn't have computers, and Dad didn't have you know any kind of training. Um, you know, to, to tell the mold maker what to do. So he would basically send a part to him, which was up in Arkansas in Fayetteville. And he would, he would get, he, he had a guy making a mold up there. And the problem was he'd get on the phone with him telling him, Hey, I need you to take a little bit of, a little bit of meat off of this left side here and in the and then have to ship the part back to him to see if it would work and so the process took you know uh you know you could get him to work on it about two times a week and cuz what we would do the guy would ship the call uh, ship a call, uh, a a part back to us after he shot it in the mold he would ship a part back to us through the Greyhound bus system. I cannot tell you how many nights I waited up at the bus station at midnight, one o'clock in the morning, just to have a part so dad could work on it until he had to go to his regular job in the, that next morning. And then I was shipping a part back up to the, the mold maker. And this process took, I'm going to guess, probably three, four months before we finally got everything right. And you know, the, the problem is, is, you know, I'm like him. I don't have any formal training on engineering or anything, but, you know, we could look at the part and see how the reed lays on the, on the top of the part and know where we needed to take some, some, some plastic off, if you will, or, or add plastic to, and, but it's hard to describe that over the phone to someone and they're wanting to deal in thousands of an inch. And while 
while we had nothing to measure that at the time, you know, we could definitely see it with our naked eye. So, um, it was, it was quite an ordeal, but, um, yeah, we finally got everything right and, and it took off. People started winning some contests with it more so than, than that, you know, guys started killing a lot of ducks with it and it was an easy call, you know, during a time when, you know, you didn't have a lot of good callers out there in in the field. Nowadays, I mean, there's a lot of good callers out there. And, you know, the the duck calls in general have just uh, evolved and, and, and guys are interested now in, in calling, whereas back then, all they were interested in, in doing is putting meat on the table. You know, I do, I do have my grandfather that was on my mother's side. He was a duck hunter, but, um, and I remember hunting with him, but he, he didn't even own a duck call. You know, a lot of them guys back then, they didn't, they just threw out decoys and whatever came in, came in and, and, and they killed. And back then, you know, you had a lot of ducks, so you didn't have to worry about it. Wow. Well, that's cool. So I'm I'm assuming when you're talking about te- taking the meat off was, are you talking about the tone board? They were adjusting. Yes. The, wow. Yes. Yes, the tone board. Oh my god. You know, you could, we could adjust everything as far as the length of barrels and the 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 inside diameter of a barrel and stuff. And like I said, I mean, this call, you know, most people know that it's real thin uh thin walled and that's that's on that's on purpose because dad designed this thing to have the vibration that a cane call did back then and and i know there's a lot of beefier heavier calls but it but they when you add a lot of plastic and density to a to a call you also kill some of the vibration and that's why we make this call so thin um, is is because of the sound purposes of it. And another reason why you'll see electrical tape on a call where guys have cracked the, the, the barrel of a call, they'll just wrap it in electrical tape and they know it's tuned the way they want it to. And it's killed, you know, thousands of ducks for them and they don't want to change calls. You know, there's a there's a sentimental value behind, you know, some of them calls. And you see one wrapped up in electric t- tape, I guarantee you it's killed hundreds of ducks. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's just one of those things. If you see that electrical tape, you instantly know what call it is. And you instantly know it's got to be an old one. Oh, so, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's seen a lot of hunts. But, man, so, <clears throat> so... You were telling me that the the DR eighty five that came out in eighty four, uh huh, awesome. So, man, it's just amazing that that call. W- would you say that that's the bread and butter that is like has been your number one selling call? You know, I would I would say since it was introduced, uh, you know, in eighty five, um, that call has continued up until this day being our number one product that we make period across the board. And it's held that status at the top of the list 41 years or not, not 41 years, but, uh, uh, what would it be? 37 years. So, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, we still sell thousands and thousands today. 
Sure do. But that's, you know, one thing too, you know, that one particular call, the insert, the reads and the wedge that are in there, we've spun off, you know, probably 30 or 40 different calls over the years that use, if you will, that same engine. Mm. It's, it's basically the engine of a, of a duck call. And, and that, that particular engine is used in, like I said, 30 or 40 different calls over the years that, that we've made. Some of them we've discontinued. Uh, some of them we've, uh, we still have to this day. Um, we make one that's a squeal call, or we may make one with bigger, thicker barrels, um, uh, you know, like the, like the red leg, the RL 99, that, call actually came out like like we've talked about in 88 and that was the the very beginnings of what most people uh, that was around the same time frame that that all these heavier polycarbonate style calls were hitting the market and uh we did we did very well with that call too and then still still do today Cool, but we've 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 actually you know used the, that same engine too uh, in in some of our acrylic calls. You know, uh, we've got two different acrylic calls that we make with that same engine in it, as well as you know we've stepped off into the the J frame style calls as well, the single reads. Mm. Yep. So who who is in charge of call development down at Haydell Game Calls? You know, there's there's not any one person. Um, you know, my brother is here. Uh, I've got one brother here that's that's with me, um, Kelly. Yeah. And um, you know, all of this is, is is has really spun off because Dad was a saxophone and clarinet player, and 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 he would have his he had his own band since he was. 14 years old and would play at wedding receptions and this and that and other, wherever live, you know, the live band stuff took him. Uh, he did come out with one CD later on in life um, and, and brought back some of his old friends, you know, to play with him on, on some of the stuff. But, you know, that's definitely had an impact in designing calls because he's used to reads on a, on a saxophone and what have you. I grew up, uh, playing a saxophone as well, and actually went to college on a musical scholarship. And later, about halfway through my uh, degree, I, I, I got off and, and went into the to marketing. Um, my brother Kelly is also a trumpet player, and so you know, having a musical mm-hmm. background has definitely lend lend itself to designing different calls and what have you. And, um, you know, it's just like, you know, one of the earlier calls that we happen to come out with, um, you know, as old as the DR-85 is, is a blue wing teal call. We were the first ones to come out with a blue wing teal call. So we started applying different sounds into designing different calls our pintail whistle, our pintail whistle that we have, you know, there's a lot of them on the market. I ain't going to mention any names, but all of them sound or look very, very similar. Mm-hmm. What a lot of people don't know is we did not 
a lot of people have have either I won't I don't like to use the word copy, but they've got their design elements from that particular call. Mm. That particular call was originally designed by myself and it was because at the time it's a MP90 so we came out with it in 89 my daughter was 3 years old and we had bought her one of these flute type things that you can transform different parts in and and cook and connect different parts to and make it do a zigzag type deal if you will fisher price used to sell this mm. and the mouthpiece was the whistle part that connected to everything. And originally, when we came out with that whistle, it was lime green. And the reason it was lime green is because we directly bought those parts from Fisher Price. And that's the color that this toy was. So if anybody's got a lime green call, you know that that's the first year we came out with it. Well, what happened is is Fisher Price, the year after, decided that they were not going to sell that part any or that that toy anymore, and so they shelved the mo- the mold. They put it on a shelf and wasn't going to use it. And we tried and tried and tried to buy that mold from them, and they would not sell it to us because they didn't want to have to compete or they didn't know if they were going to bring it back out. Blah blah blah. And so we that's what forced us to go and and make a mold of that particular part for that call. So I mean it's it's kind of you know there's there's not a there's not a whole lot of science but yet there is behind designing calls. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And and so we're we're fortunate enough you know with our musical background that I can hear a pitch and design a call based off that pitch. I can almost hear it, see it in my head, see the sound, and know what I need to do to recreate that sound. There's a lot of ducks that are in foreign countries that sound different, mm-hmm. um, a lot of different game that they hunt overseas, and we've designed different calls for them. Um, matter of fact, I've got a... I have not come out with it here in the United States, but I actually do have a call that's marketed for a spoonbill or a shoveler. And they shoot a lot of, they shoot, yes, sir. They shoot a lot of these in Spain. And I had a, a friend of mine that's over there in Spain. He's a heavy, heavy duck hunter and sells our calls. And he wanted me to develop a, a spoonbill call for him because that's their primary duck that they shoot and um and i did it and it's starting to take off and really sell real well for them and they sound they sound actually kind of like a pintail hen does it's it's kind of a low pitch Mm -hmm. um quack if you will and they usually just do about three notes is all they do and um you know and and it's the same with uh another call we came out recently um and, and and actually market it here, you know the the tree ducks, the fulvous tree ducks, and the and the black bellies. Yeah. Um, they make a high pitch whistle, which is 
different than like what you would think of like a wood duck wood or a or a pintail it's more nasally and it got an airy kind of sound to it and we designed a a uh, black belly tree duck call that's really taken off and and doing pretty well as well so um, it's just being able to hear those pitches and be able to reproduce them on a mechanical or handheld device that that'll enable you a, a guy to to recreate that sound um you know a lot of guys think you can't call wood ducks you know because and 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 i agree there are certain situations where you know wood ducks are going to do what they want to do but there is a a time and place to be able to call wood ducks and as far as i know we're one of the few that actually make um that airy type whistle that that a, a male wood duck does when he first sits on the water you know when they're coming in and they land on the water, the first thing they want to do, because they can't, they may not be able to land exactly where they want. The first thing that uh, they usually do is hit a, hit, make this sound. And what they're trying to do is locate other birds on the water to swim on into them. And in that scenario, you can really, you know, actually call the wood ducks to you. You know, granted, a lot of times they're, they're swimming into you. Uh, and sometimes if, if they're close enough to hear that call, they'll, they'll come on in, in flight. But, um, now you don't shoot any ducks on the water, do you? No, no. Well, if if I did, I'd lie about it. But, uh, anyhow, you know, it's, it's, it's been fun. It's, it's been a fun trip, you know, um. And and it's good to be able to help duck hunters out there enjoy the sport that they're doing. They enjoy dearly and, 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 and get out there and be successful in what they do. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's actually been fun, you know, making a living this way. It, It really has. And, and not only that is, you know, supporting, you know, the people that work for me and, uh, you know, to where they can earn a living as well. Yeah, and I read, uh, are all the people that work for you, are they mainly duck hunters or callers? Not, or necessi- not necessarily. Uh, we we do have a lot of family that, that work for us. Uh-huh. Uh, my wife runs the front office. Uh, as I mentioned before, Kelly, my brother, mm-hmm. works here. Uh, we have some some cousins and and whatnot that that work here as well and and so it's it's been uh you know it's it's it is truly a family family business i think right now we have eight employees and uh believe it or not um i can i have and 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 have been successful if you will in training a lot of women how to tune a duck call Mm. and you know it's because they tend to listen to you and have a more of an eye for detail and when you're making you know a molded part that's the same or 
I shouldn't say the same, but in most cases, they're more consistent than a wooden call. You know, you you have a certain way that you tune, line up a reed, and, you know, doggone it, most of these women that that make these calls, uh, you know, are pretty dang spot on. You know, I may have to make a slight adjustment to them and uh, to fine tune them before they're packaged, but every call that goes out of this 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 building is blown by either me or my brother to double check for the sound quality and mm. um you know before it's packaged so you know that's one of uh one of the keys i think to our success is that you know you're not just buying a a call that's made you know in china if you will or or whatever where they mass produced and and everything even though we're mass produced they are double checked for for sound and the quality to make sure that the call is right, and and that's important. You know, when a, when a guy picks up a call, that it sounds like a duck. Now it may not be tuned specifically for that in, individual. In other words, he may make he may want a call that's a little bit lower pitched or a little bit higher pitched, and that's easy easy to fix because. On on most of our on all of our double reads, we have a floating wedge system that was made that way in for design. So a guy could fine tune his call. Right. There's other double reads on the market that once you put the the call together, um, there's a lot to say to, to about putting a call back together the same way you took it apart. And, and locking it in, but you're locked into that one sound. Yeah. You know, this way with a floating wedge, I can push the wedge back to lower the pitch or push the wedge toward the front of the, toward the tip of the reeds to raise the pitch. Now, a, a, another thing that we can do on there, I can float that, that insert back and forth. I can also float two reeds back and forth. So there's there's four different things that I can float back and forth on a DR85 to make any sound you want to make. Mm. I can push the insert in and out. I can push the bottom reed in and out. I can push the top reed in and out. And I can push that, that, that wedge in and out. And right. that's what's lent itself to being such a versatile engine to use in all of these other different calls and these models that we make. Nice. Nice. You know, <clears throat> uh, Rob, Rob, we're going to have to uh, end here in a little bit, but I've uh, got a question I was thinking about. In 41 years, has the industry changed? Oh, most definitely. Like I said, you know, more and more guys are going to uh, acrylic calls, um, there's a lot of guys that are going toward, uh, a cut down style call, uh, calling in itself has evolved over the years, um, to where one guy may have a particular sound that, that he's doing on a, on a, making on a call that he has found the work and the word just spreads, and 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 guys want to reproduce those sounds because the next guy is effective on them. Mm-hmm. You know, years ago, like I said, I mean, all all we had was a cane call to 
to to use. And then slowly, the Arkansas-style single reeds were introduced into Louisiana, and, and guys started blowing those. Then the next step was, you know, these, these cut-down-style calls and, and what have you. You know, at one time, um, you know, uh, Dad had developed uh, a style of calling that was popular in South Louisiana, and he termed the, the phrase Cajun squeal. And that's when a duck's been feeding heavily on rice or, or, or some type of grain, and it restricts their vocal cords, and they emit a, a hoarse squeal-type sound at the, yeah. end, at the very end of their quack. And a lot of these old-timers would design their call or they wanted a call that would reproduce that that sound back in the old days when we first came out with with the mold for that that cane style call we had a mold that made six pieces at one time and for the insert and we would fill those cavities up with fiberglass resin and that's what made our 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 single reads at that time and the way we did that is we had different wooden um sound tone boards that we used and we had those like i said in a, in a mold and sometimes those parts would dry in two hours sometimes it'd take two days and they'd still be gummy and we'd have to start over you know that was just the mechanics of what we had to work with back yeah. then but in the old original calls i think there was one cavity that would produce this squeal and it was the number three cavity and on the back of all of our very first original calls for the first year, those cavity parts were numbered. And so on the back side of the sound, the insert or the tone board, you could see a one inscribed or a two, three, four, five on the six. And, but that number three was the one that would squeal. So, you know, dad at the time in 84, we came out with a call we call, called the Marsh Guide. And that was that was the call that the guides down in South Louisiana wanted because that call was the only one we used the number three parts on, and they could get that little squeal. So I guess that's a long way to circumvent your question about calling styles and has calling changed over the years. Surely it's changed, you know, and it <coughs> – excuse me um, – more than likely, it will continue to do so, you know, until the end of time, you know, because there's always a new, it's like fishing baits, you know, um, you know, if you feel one guy's got, the next guy's got the advantage and he's, and he's, and he's doing better than you are, you're going to try to recreate that. And so that's how things evolve in the, in the calling industry. Wow. That is cool. So, so. Eli coined the term the Cajun squeal. Yes. Yes. Wow. Holy moly, that's cool. <laughs> and there's several other other calls that'll reproduce that on the market, not only us now, but you know, um that is a a, a style in itself, you know. Some days you get out there and you know, I remember one particular day um 
a couple of years ago, I was out uh, in, in the field hunting, and I had to finish every duck to a squeal. Um, that's just what they wanted that particular day. I turned around the next day and tried to do it, and they didn't want nothing to do with it. So, you know, calling calling definitely can change not o- only over the years, but on a day-to-day basis. And if you have a tool and the know-how to adapt, if you will, on a day-to-day basis, you know, it can, you know, let's face it, with the limits the, the way they are now and probably going to be here in the next year or two, uh, they're probably going to drop the limit. You know, uh, if you work one or two good flock, flocks of birds into your blind with a group of guys, that can make the difference between having a so-so day or an excellent day and um, and finish out early rather than putting so much pressure and hunting so late in the day to finish off your limit. Let's face it, everybody wants to shoot a limit. Right. And once you reach that limit, I mean, you get, obviously – most people quit <laughs> and that's what you're supposed to do. But, um, you know, everybody's so ingrained now with Facebook and, 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 and whatnot, being able to post pictures of having a successful hunt. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it forces, it forces everybody else to compete against the guy that's shooting limits every day. You know what I mean? And that's just human nature. It, 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 that's that's what it's evolved to. But you know, if you can if you can get in the blind and out as quick as you can, because you have the tools to work with, and 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 get out of there and put less pressure on it, you're going to be able to do the same thing the next day, more than likely. Right. You know, I remember when in the days when when we first had to go to steel shot and we had thirty. 30 birds and three ducks is all we could shoot. You know, it wasn't a matter if you were going to shoot your limit. You were definitely going to shoot your limit for us anyhow. But it was a matter of what time you were going to get out of the blind. You know, and we always strive to get out of the blind by 7 o'clock in the morning. Because, again, it puts less pressure on your birds. And we went in every day following and could do the same thing and have the same same results so um yeah calling is definitely a evolving and will continue to to evolve from here on out i believe that's cool that's cool now uh i have heard from a couple of my louisiana sources that you guys get a lot of gray ducks down there gabwalls are you seeing a lot down there Yes, that's our primary bird. Um, you know, back in the days when we could shoot uh, under the point system, you know, we shot a lot of um, pintails and teal, you know, for our 10-point birds. Obviously, you know, those are good eating birds, and, and that's what we strove for because obviously we wanted to, you know, make the hunt last as long as we could rather than shoot a mallard. You know, even though in a lot of parts of the country that's all you get, or that's a trophy bird in itself, and it is, um, you know, we would hold off on the model ducks that were so, you know, uh, way up there in point value um, as much as we could. And, um, 
but you know since we've gone to um you know six six ducks or or even back when we could only we we in other words when we came off of the point system right um our primary bird yes in louisiana is a gray duck or a gadwall and um and we make a call for that as well you know so but um yeah that's our that's our meat and potatoes bird right there and there's certainly nothing wrong with eating those as well nice <laughs> nice how how do you usually cook them I I tend to like a like to cook them on uh, pot roast them and and mm-hmm. I'll change up from time to time. Uh, you know I'll smoke some birds. I like eating. Uh, my wife's got me on a diet, so we we eat a lot of salads. But <laughs> there's nothing better than smoked <laughs> duck on top of a, a of a salad, and it it almost feels like you're eating a regular meal. Then you know, and I <laughs> I certainly don't mind it. So you know, there's a number of ways of cooking them, cooking ducks, and I like to experiment. Uh, you know, I'll make uh, I'll make uh, gosh dang it, I can't think of the dish now. Um, Mongolian beef, if you mm. like Chinese, yeah. Uh, Mongolian beef. I'll make a a Mongolian duck. And just use duck breast to make it. It's real quick and simple. You cut up your strips and and just kind of saute them real quick under high heat uh, with all your 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 ginger and soy sauce and your uh, green onions. And and I've even made uh, egg rolls to complement and go along with that dish. You know, there's a number of ways to to cook those. And if you look up on my YouTube uh at haydales.com um just type that in there's there's several uh recipes in there if you will not really recipes because we don't measure anything down here in Louisiana you know how that goes um but there you can at least follow the general uh conceptions of what we're trying to do so i like to eat them a different variety of different ways and and um you know we obviously we do eat a lot of duck i mean everybody likes the grilled duck when you do them with jalapeno and little cream cheese and wrap them up with bacon on the grill, you know, and, um, you know, but there's a a multitude of different ways that we try to utilize. So it doesn't feel like you're eating the same thing day in and day out. Nice. Nice. Well, Rod, at the end of every episode, I usually ask three questions, but before that, um, what do we have to look forward from uh, Haydale game calls this year? Are we, are we going to see the spoonbill call in the future, or what's the story on that? Well, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it one more year. I'm gonna experiment with it a little bit, and uh, you know, I think uh, that may be a, a possibility. Again, everything evolves, and uh, you know, I'm just looking for that next right thing. And and sometimes, you know, it just it comes out of the blue to you, you know, um, my brother, uh, you know, somebody hit him up, you know, a few years ago, they wanted a louder blue wing teal call. And, uh, and, and so, you know, he got to playing around with it and boom, you know, it's like, you know, the next day, boom, here, here we go. You know, this is it, you know? And, and so you never know when a new product's just going to come out of the blue and hit you and what we can you know, come up with to, to make that particular sound. But, you know, guys are graduating and like I said, and have been for a long time, 
you know, utilizing uh, acrylic in, in the marketplace. And that there will always be a place for that. But I do see some guys reverting back and wanting to go back to wood. Uh, there's obviously a multitude of different woods that you can use, and each one varies, you know, depending on the density and how they're made and, and what have you. And just as Dale's doing, uh, you know, um, you know, keeping that tradition alive, you know, with the cane that he's doing, you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to step on any, anybody's toes or anything like that. And we're friends, you know, we speak, he's been to the shop over here, you know, and, and so, uh, you never really know what's, what's in tune. It's just, sometimes you just, play around with things and, and things hit you. And it's, it's like, you know, uh, I've got a call that's sitting in my desk, well, sitting on my desk cause I happened to pull it out this morning, but it is a mixture of acrylic and a, and a poly. Mm. And for whatever reason, the dimensions and the weight and the way that call is tuned it just sounds awesome. And so, you know, there may be a, place in time where I, I come out with that particular call. I have, uh, I did have some that I experimented with and, and sold about 50 of those out there and the guys seem to like them. So, um, you know, who knows, we may come up with something like that, or I wish, I wish we could invent a different duck that had a different sound to it. Cause we're running out of <laughs> options. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, I'll tell you, I'll tell you one thing that, that has, uh, has caught on around the country because this particular species is doing so well, and that's calling sandhill cranes. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, there's even a season in Alabama now, and 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 Kentucky, and and uh, and and Tennessee. You know, uh, both started having the limited seasons on them, and while. It'll never happen in Louisiana because of the great um, um, oh one of the one of the uh, I can't think of what what that bird is uh, but anyhow there there's there's a bird that looks similar to the average hunter I mean mm-hmm. most guys can tell but um, they're they're really worried about those and and so we will never have a um, sandhill season here in Louisiana, nor will Nebraska. Nebraska, uh, you know, even though a lot of birds filter through Nebraska, that is their state bird. And so they probably won't ever have a a season for them there. But, you know, that's something that we've developed um, and has evolved over the last five years is that more states are opening up for sandhill cranes, therefore lending itself to, to more uh more calls being sold in that area and and so we've designed right now we have two different sandhill crane calls but over the years we've had four or five different designs and uh it's just evolved you know mm-hmm. so um anyhow so that's what you can expect you know we we constantly got our eyes and ears open for the next be- best thing here at Haydale's nice Nice. Yeah. The, uh, you know, you're talking about Dale Kane calls. Uh, I mean, I'm a custom call maker, so I start with the J frame, but man, uh, after talking to Dale, I discovered the Louisiana tone board. I knew nothing about Louisiana tone boards. Uh, did, did not know that the, you know, the DR 85 and all those until 
you know, a while back, but I didn't put the dots together about the Louisiana tone board, but I started making them. And man, I just love the sound of an LA call. Just, I just love it. <laughs> it has a unique sound. Well, I'll, I'll give you a little secret. Most guys, when they made calls back in the day, and uh, Dale may, I may have a phone call from Dale once he hears this, and <laughs> I give out a little secret. But most guys are right-handed, right? Right. And so when they would when they would file their their tone boards, they would use a hand file and lay it across their knee in their left hand and file on it. Okay, if you can imagine that, using yeah. a file in your right hand, lay your tone board on your knee in your yeah. left hand and file on it. Naturally. By filing it in that motion, the left side of your tone board is going to slant downward just slightly just because of the nature of your hand movement and what have you. That twisting motion is what twists that reed just enough to where you could put a squeal on the call and the reed would not be able to lock down because a reed is going gonna, is gonna to lay down straight and if you got a twisted soundboard, there's just enough air on that right side that's going to allow some air to flow through there. And if you get that twist just right, it'll produce that squeal. Get out of here. Yep. That is, oh my gosh, that's cool. <laughs> now you got something to play with. Yeah. Oh no. That's the last thing I needed. <laughs> make a lot of sawdust yeah yeah that is cool that's very cool well rob man thank you so much for coming on the podcast man it's been just an honor to have you on um and uh yeah are you ready for the last three questions yes sir all right if you could get in a time machine and go back to one duck hunt and live it all over again what would it be rod Wow, that is a tough question. Oh, they'll get tougher. Um, I would have to go back to the very last hunt that I made with my father before mm. he passed. We were sitting there in the duck blind, and he had had some issues after he had a stroke. Uh, he had had some issues getting back in the hunting. Mm -hmm. He could blow a duck call. He could not blow a speckle belly call. He had some problems with his vision and hand-eye coordination in shooting. So we got him through. It took several years to get him through all that and to where he was fairly competent uh, again with a shotgun. And Dad has always been a fantastic shot. His favorite shot is when a bird's coming straight at him, real high, straight up overhead. So I'm working these these two birds is a pair of model ducks. I'm working them, working them around the circle. If you can envision that. And I, and, and I got them off of my right hand. I'm on the right side of the blind dad's in the middle and, and, uh, another guy's on the left and I'm working them on the right side, uh, of the blind winds at my back. They're circling around to the front and coming and, and coming directly over into the wind straight, into the blind and I'm like dad let them get a little bit lower um, you know we're going to give them one more pass 
And out of the corner of my eye, I see him going up with his shotgun. And I'm like, no, no. <laughs> and boom, boom, he shoot, he rolls both of them. And he turns to me, and before the second one hits the water, he says, it ain't bragging if you can do it, son. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. So I, so I actually, um, in, in, in that honor and in that hunt, um, in, in his honor, we actually uh, came out with a T-shirt that's got our logo on the front, and it's got a picture of him on the back of the back of the shirt and i'm looking at one now that i got hung up in my office and it says it ain't bragging if you can do it and it says eli hedell oh that is cool oh Mm -hmm. man that's a cool story man all right the second question if you could uh get in a blind with three other guys and do a duck hunt uh these guys could be living deceased friends family who would be Wow. And this is strictly duck hunting, right? Yes. Um, I would have to go back and would like to see, make a hunt with uh, Nash Buckingham. Mm. Um. Wow. Um, another guy I got I got a lot of respect for um, would be Butch Richenback. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I'd like to go with one of the the guys, uh, Philip Olt one of the guys that created old calls. Oh yeah. Man, that that would be a blind, wouldn't it? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the calling the calling would be insane. It really would be. All really all be different. Be. Totally different styles. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what would be interesting to me. You know. Hmm. Is just to hear the differences and see what works pick their brains and, you know, maybe hit on something that might, you know, create a different product in the, in the future, you know, and, and, and evolve, you know? Right. Right. Um, now for the final question, if you could stand or if you could stand over the shoulder and watch any call maker turn a call, Living or deceased, who would you like to watch make a duck call? Hmm. You know, probably you're not going to expect this, but I think, uh, I think who I'd like to see is somebody that that has developed a lot of different styles of call. Uh-huh. I think he's I think he's pretty talented and 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 can adapt and and has a such huge uh versatility 
and that would be John Stevens. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know, he makes he makes those you know, small batch style calls and and uh you know, there there's just a lot of versatility and and change there and uh be able to pick his brain why he does this, why he does that and so on and so forth. I I think there's a lot of learning opportunity there. Yeah. Yeah. Now, this isn't one of the questions, but as, you know, as the CEO of Haydell Game Calls, do you ever, like, watch any of these custom call makers at all? I do somewhat. Yeah. Uh, probably not as much as I should. Um, but I try to keep up with with what's going on a lot, you know, in the industry um, as much as I can. Yeah. You know, because after all... Um, you know, by watching and learning uh, different things, it, it, there's certain things that may flash through your mind, whether or not this will work or that'll work. And, and, you know, you try to develop ideas, you know, based off of something else you see. I mean, that's basically how everything evolves, you know, if you will. So, um yeah, you know, certainly I, I try to learn as much as I can from the next guy. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Well, Rod, man, thank you so much for uh, being on uh, the podcast and, man, telling me about this rich history of Haydell Game Calls, man. I really appreciate it. Well, I enjoyed it. Anytime. Anytime. You, you want to do another one? Let's do it. <laughs> it's been fun. Well, thank you so much. If you don't mind, just stay on uh, the line, and I'll close her out real quick. Okay. All right. So this has been uh, Riley Hendrickson with Rilo's Quack Chat, and that was Mr. Rod Haydell. If you get a chance, um, check out Haydell Game Calls. Uh, get your hands on one of those nice DR85s, especially if you are just now getting into duck hunting. I highly suggest that. As a first call, those are just so nice um, and just easy to use, and they sound awesome. And so if you get a chance, check those out. And, um, yeah, so till next time, this has been Rilo's Quack Chat.